this is Kate Magic and you're listening to the Raw Living Podcast. Raw Living is Europe's leading raw foods and superfood supplier and I founded the company back in 2002. In this interview series, I'm talking to some of the people behind the brands that we offer on our shop to find out what exactly is the ethos behind the company. Not just the ingredients that they use and the processes that they use to create the end results, but I'm asking them other questions like how do they show respect for the environment, how do they treat their workers and their relationship to the farmers who grow the crops. All the companies that we work with are putting huge amounts of dedication and commitment into creating products that are benefiting not just you, but also the whole ecosystem, the planet, the people. And with this series, I'm hoping to show insights into that. When you're shopping with these companies, you're really not just investing in your health, you're truly investing in a better world for us all. Today I'm speaking with Adam and Faye from Loving Foods about their fermented goods that they produce in Manchester. Hi Adam and Faye, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, we've never actually spoken before but I've been enjoying, I was going to say I've been loving (laughs) your foods for That's a few right. years now I'm not sure how I came across them initially but you started out in Manchester right do you want to tell us the story of how you got started yeah so we started in 2016 I think so we're into we've just started our seventh year and we started actually in a shed in our back garden um like a lot of kind of challenger startups we we dug a big hole in the back garden built a shed and, and we started there um and I guess the reason the reason we started the company, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis a few years ago. Um, Faye uh, has, has always suffered a lot with IBS. Um, and I was prescribed steroids for my condition that I didn't really want to take. So at that point, we started looking into diet and lifestyle changes and what we could do. And we kind of started on this journey of discovery towards sort of better eating and better health and understanding uh, the role of the gut in um uh, plays in overall health and the immune system and as part of that journey we were kind of introduced to probiotics and fermented foods by Faye's brother who's a, a nutritional therapist so he taught us about that he taught us how to make sauerkraut kimchi and kombucha and we started doing that at home and certainly for me it really helps I think it helped Faye as well and 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 when uh, Faye's brother Mendel when he moved back to the UK from where he was living we were kind of at a, all at a stage where we wanted to do something with all of the knowledge that we built up uh, over the years. And uh, it just seemed like an interesting business. I think at the time in 2016, there were like two companies that were making, you know, proper fermented foods and pasteurized live um, organic fermented foods. And we just thought it was a really interesting business. We built a shed in the garden and we started producing. I mean, when we started, we, we jumped right in and we were doing, I think, four different flavors of vegetables and four different types of kombucha, which was, in hindsight, completely insane because we were we were operating in a shed. I mean, I say a shed, it was kitted out like a proper kitchen, but it was eight foot by 20 foot. It was tiny. So we, we had tanks down one side, we had tables down the other, we had a sink at the back and you know, there was very little space, but but we managed that for how long? 
Um, God, it must have been 18 months. Maybe 18 months. Um, I did. I had another job, so I was doing kind of the business side in the back end, but Faye and Mendel were in the kitchen doing the work if they would come in sometimes at 11 o'clock at night, having been scrubbing cabbage juice off the floor. But that's, <laughs> you know, that, that, that is kind of how we started. And then uh, after 18 months, we were, you know, things were growing. We needed more space. We moved to a factory in Trafford Park. And, and then the middle of last year, we had to move again. And we've now moved to another factory in Eccles. Um, and I hope to never have to move again because that was very, very <laughs> difficult. Um, and certainly for the next five or six years or so, we're staying there, I think. But that's that's kind of how we started and why we started the business. So I think the other companies that started around the same time as you have both gone out of business now. So you must be the longest standing um, raw fermentation company at the moment. Do you think so? Um, yeah, I think we probably are. And I think I, I certainly think we're the largest of our kind. There's one or two other companies that spring to mind, but there's not many that kind of tick all the important boxes for us and you know Faye can tell you a little bit about you know kind of our ethos but really to to, to make sure uh, all the products are organic and packaged in glass and properly right. fermented and not pasteurized I don't really think there's anyone that does that but we're right. certainly so that make both the veggies and the drinks yeah yeah that's right I mean we have a whole range of products um but yes I don't really think there's anyone that does it and, and now not definitely not in the quantity that we produce Right. So who develops the recipes? Is that you, Faye? Because you have some really brilliant um, flavour profiles in there. No, it's actually Mendel, my brother. So he developed these recipes, or some of the recipes, um, actually before Loving Foods started. He was making them uh, to sell in a market in another country where he was living at the time. Um, but he'd been making fermented foods for probably 20 years now or maybe more mm. um so uh yeah they are his recipes actually he's he's the brain behind the flavors i remember, remember we, went, we went to stay with him and he, he gave us this kimchi and it was the first time we'd ever tried it and we're just blown away by the taste <laughs> never really tasted anything like it couldn't stop eating it um that kind of really sort of mm. was the start of our, our our interest in it really but um, they are great flavors, but no, he he's he developed all those flavors and also the processes that we use, which are really important because it's very easy as you scale up a business to start taking shortcuts and making changes and doing things in a different way that you know maybe not traditional using you know artificial ingredients or additives and things. And it was really important to us that as we scaled up that we still we're making the products in the same way mm. that you would do at home and that is not easy to do and that's required a lot of um a lot of thinking about how we do that and how we scale it mm. and he was kind of a big part of that mm. the cookie is my favorite do you want to talk us through the different flavors of sauerkraut and kimchi that you have uh yeah so we have the basic uh what we would call the classic sauerkraut which is just the cabbage with salt um, and then we have uh, the, <clears throat> it's actually my favourite sauerkraut, the caraway and juniper berry sauerkraut. Although actually not many people seem to like that one as much as the others. They don't, and it's my favourite as well. Right. But it, doesn't, it doesn't sell as well. I don't know if people are put off by the juniper berries or... or well, that's very yeah. traditional, isn't it, to put juniper berries in it? Yeah, uh, we really love it, but 
um, people prefer the classic one. Um, Which is fine. Yeah. No wrong answer. It leaves more caraway <laughs> one for me anyway. <laughs> Um, and then we have the cortido, uh, which is quite spicy and um, lots of different veggies in there, as well as oregano. Yeah, that's the main thing with the cortido. So the cortido is like a, so all cultures around the world, different cultures kind of have their own version of sauerkraut. So in Eastern Europe, uh, with the Germans and the Poles, it was sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, which Bill talked about is Korean. Uh, and, and then in Japan, you've got things like miso and tempeh, but cortido is kind of a Latin American sauerkraut uh, sort of traditional latin american one but i agree with you Kate. i really like it i think it's the oregano and the fact it's one of the spiciest flavors which is why i quite like it yeah it has a lot of flavor to it and it's sort of in between the sauerkraut and the kimchi because yeah. if you want something more grated not as chunky as the kimchi yeah. it gives those flavors without yeah. being chunky right and then we've got the the beetroot one uh the ruby kraut um, which looks amazing because of the colour. Um, and if you're a beetroot lover, then uh, that one's great. Um, it looks great with food as well, just because of the vibrant colour. It's it also good that it's another non-spicy one. So the kimchi is and the cotillos are spicy, whereas the ruby crown's got no chilli in. Uh -huh. And then uh, we have the kimchi. So we have a more classic version of the kimchi and then the turmeric and black pepper version of that one. So I'm sure you'll know, but uh, black pepper enhances the absorption of the curcumin in the turmeric. So that's why we have that as one of our flavours. Um, and then we also have a hot and smoky kimchi, which is one of the newer ones. And that's, um, it's more traditional. It? Yeah, it was, we, we wanted to follow a more traditional recipe. Our normal kimchis are not really like traditional right. Korean kimchi because we don't use Chinese cabbage because you can't get Chinese cabbage organic right. for like three months of the year. Uh, you can't get gochugaru, which is the red pepper paste, inorganic at all. Right. And um, uh, traditional Korean kimchi has fish sauce and sugar and glutinous rice powder in traditionally. So we didn't want any of that in our products because they're, they're all vegan so and vegetarian and vegan. So the, the kimchi has always been a little bit slight, a little bit different. And a hot and smoky was a way to kind of try and follow a more traditional Korean recipe in the shape of the vegetables and the colour and the taste. So we added smoked paprika and some tamari. So it looks a bit more like a Korean kimchi mm. and it's got the texture and, and, and taste a little bit closer to a traditional Korean kimchi. It's also pretty spicy. Um, so that was, the, that was the point behind that. Brilliant. So you mentioned... Um that is really important to you to keep to the traditional methods. I don't want you to <laughs> divulge your, your trade secrets, but um, can you tell us anything about how you produce the kimchi, the kimchi and the sauerkraut? How long do you keep it fermenting for? Um, we ferment it for three weeks um, and we keep the processes very similar to how you would make it yourself at home. So we wanted to produce something that was basically how you would make it yourself at home and we didn't want to cut corners um we wanted to give everybody the opportunity to eat something um very natural um and we wouldn't make it any differently for ourselves basically so and, and there's no secret to it i mean <laughs> we cut up vegetables and we mix them with salt you know the, the the difficult bit um and the reason why there's not hundreds of different uh, fermented vegetable producers like there are now kombucha producers is because scaling it is the difficult thing. 
Right. Um, so, you know, the, the recipes, yes, and the proportions are important, but you could look at the side of our jar and work and, and look at the ingredients, <laughs> make your own at home. And we encourage people to do that because it's, it's, a, it's an amazing process. You know, it's just vegetables and salt and then the natural bacteria do the rest of the work. It is a fascinating process, but there's nothing particularly secret about that. It's, it's managing to scale up, but continuing to make it exactly the same way that you would at home. And that's not easy because if you look at the stuff that generally is shipped in from Europe, um, as well as coming in tins and plastic bags, it's typically not organic. It's usually pasteurized. It's quite mushy, which allows them to pump it into the packaging. Right. Uh, whereas we still fill all of our jars by hand because it is impossible to do any other way with our with our product because it's right. not mushy, it won't flow. So it's it's labor intensive. So yeah, I would say there's no particular secret, although the flavors are great, but it's it's just it's how you make as many as we do um whilst doing it exactly the same as you would at home. I think that's, right. the, that's the tricky when you scale it up, what are you fermenting it in? You don't ferment it directly in the jars. Uh, no, we don't know. We ferment it in large stainless steel tanks. Um, so we do have some tools to help us, you know, that you wouldn't do at home. So whereas if you were making a small amount at home, you might mix it by hand. And we did start like that. So we do have some equipment to help us. Uh, and obviously with the chopping. But once everything's mixed and processed, it goes into airtight stainless steel tanks. Um, and, and then from there, straight into the jars. Right. So are they tanks that are specially produced for fermentation? They are. Yeah, they're, they're produced in Italy and they are they are specifically called fermentation tanks. Yeah, they have special airlocks. So um, as our product is fermenting, bacteria releasing CO2. So you need that CO2 to get out. You don't want the air to get in. And uh, yeah, they're specially designed for that. Right. And what's your preferred salt to use? That is an excellent question. <laughs> uh, we've only changed our salt once over the years uh, we were using actually can't remember what we were using originally but we changed to Celtic sea salt which for our money is one of the best in the world it is harvested in France uh, again in a traditional way it's all wooden tools it's exactly as they used to do decades maybe hundreds of years ago um, they collect water in these shallow pools that is slowly evaporated by sunlight, and then they use the wooden tools to uh, to scrape it up, collect it, and um, and then it's bagged up and shipped out. But it is a very very high quality salt. It's very natural. It's full of minerals. Um, it's actually quite good for you. We still we still try. We don't try. We've always maintained a very low salt content. You know, a lot of people, especially when they're dealing with health issues, are often advised to watch the salt content by the doctors. So um salt is actually only needed for fermentation to, to sort of slow down and control the process you, and a little bit of taste but but a lot of it is to control the fermentation process you can make without salt but the more salt you use um the more it controls yeah. slows down the process so some producer will use a lot of salt just to right. just to cover themselves we are our, our salt content is one gram per hundred mil per hundred right. grams right. which is quite low yeah it is yeah you look at what else is out there but the salt itself is very good quality and actually quite good for you so um, yeah that's that is shipped in from france and we've been using it for probably four or five years now i don't really know if you know it's a kind of i think it's a tiktok trend at the moment that salt it's one of our best-selling products at the moment is it Celtic yeah, salt? it's like a 
yeah it's like a, a, a total, what do they call it a viral it's gone viral yeah people keep telling us we need to get on tiktok <laughs> um so let's move on to the drinks tell us about how you make those so the drinks are they're a little bit easier to make they're quite kind of less time intensive um but we do six types of drinks um that is three flavors of kombucha which is for anyone that doesn't know that is green tea that is fermented with um what's called a scoby which is a symbiotic culture or symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast and the bacteria in the yeast consume the sugar that is added and um slowly change the tea into something different which is effectively i always call it like a healthy soda a healthy coca-cola it's a slightly sweet it's very slightly sweet slightly uh, acidic slightly vinegary um probiotic fizzy drink so we make three of those with, with various flavors and then we also make three junk kombuchas which um they're brewed with honey instead of sugar and, and slightly different colony of bacteria uh, so they taste different but again with all our drinks so you know we have kombucha we have matcha mint raspberry and tulsi and blueberry and lavender and then the jun, we have an unflavored and we have lemon and ginger and hibiscus and lime. But when you look at every one of those ingredients, um, each one is the real ingredient. Right. So when we say lemon and ginger, we are bringing in lemons. We are squeezing them by hand. We are using fresh ginger, hibiscus leaves, mint leaves. Um, blueberries. Blueberries, real blueberries. Hibiscus flowers, lavender flowers. Yeah. So they go in and they, they brew. In case of matcha mint, it's brewed with the mint in. In the case of like blueberry and lavender, the blueberry juice that we've squeezed is is steeped. Actually, no, we, we put the blueberries and the lavender in a bag and it's steeped post-fermentation. So it's all real ingredients. And one of the things we wanted to do is allow, because so that makes the colours really vibrant, which you'll see on the website or, or, or when you actually buy the product. But we wanted to use clear glass bottles um, so the customers could kind of, see um see the product and i think the colors look pretty cool how long are you fermenting for and do you have a preferred type of sugar that you use um we do use the same sugar but generally speaking sugar sugar and the bacteria really like the plainest sugar so yeah. you know we, we did talk about we, we discovered a product um a couple of years ago a south american sugar a panella i think it's called really natural sugar but the bacteria in kombucha like the plainest whiter sugar so we yeah. use an organic cane sugar and organic blossom honey for the jun and we ferment for different times because jun ferments quicker so jun is typically three weeks and kombucha is typically six weeks wow okay and do yeah. you use the big tanks the same big fermentation tanks we use um, bigger tanks, actually. Our tanks are 1,000 litre tanks. Wow. We actually bought our tanks when we expanded from a, a competitor, a very well-known one called Jar Kombucha, who make mm. very good kombucha. Another um, Adam. <laughs> oh, yes, another Adam, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so those guys sold their business to a brewery in Europe and all the produ production was shipped over there but they had these custom-made kombucha tanks that they didn't need and they were selling them. So we, we bought six of them. So before that, we were, we were fermenting a lot less in smaller tanks and now we use these, these, these large tanks. Well, uh, I've seen your tanks because I went to their factory in East London. So <laughs> <laughs> How funny. 
Uh, we yeah. could probably do with a couple more, but they're all going to have to. We'll probably have to commission the building of the creation of some more tanks. But yeah, kombucha is definitely a lot easier because, yeah, it's a, it's a tough process again to scale. Um, but if you have tanks and pumps, you know, you can do it with relatively few people. Whereas the the the, the, uh, the veggies, because of the volume of, of juice you've got to chop and, and and deal with and then the jarring, it's it's very labor intensive. Mm. Kombucha is a little bit easier. Um, mm. But, so, yeah. let's talk about gin because gin is probably my favorite drink in the world and make it myself and hardly anyone knows what it is so I was very excited when I saw that you're producing it and it's it's a lot harder I think to do than kombucha well it's more expensive because of the honey but it's also I think harder because it is harder to control I think do you want to tell us about how you got introduced to gin and why you're why you decided to bring that into your range I think it was Mendel. But yeah, so actually that was the first um first fermented thing I made. I think ah. Mendel Mendel gave me, I think when he moved countries, trying to remember now, he gave me a Jeanne Scobie and I was like, oh, what do I do with it? <laughs> <laughs> so he taught me um how to make it and I started making it at home. So that was my first experience of um of Jeanne and fermenting any kind of drink. And actually I created more scobies from this and that's how we actually, well, it's how we started making Jeanne for loving foods using the scoby that Mendel gave me originally. Because they were hard to get hold of. I mean, now you can, oh, yeah. you can, you can buy them as you probably know, but there was, it was really hard to get hold of back then. Um, so we kept growing babies. We kept growing babies. And it's it's really, yeah, I was, it, it's it's known informally. Some of the history is a bit sort of shrouded in secrecy, but it's, it's known informally as the champagne of kombucha and the stories of Tibetan monks riding on horseback and, and carrying Jun in their, in, their, in their sort of drinks pouches. But it's, that, that's what it's known as. And I just like the fact that it was kind of unique and, and not very common and it's definitely got a different flavor profile because of the honey it's really good for people that are avoiding um you know uh, processed refined sugars altogether obviously honey is still sugar um so when it goes into your body it's similar but some people just um quite rightly although i struggle with it avoid um refined sugar altogether so it, it's great for that um in terms of the fermentation process i think it's it's not it's not vastly more difficult. It just it ferments more quickly, so you need to be a bit more careful with it, and it's probably slightly less tolerant to temperature changes. Right. So we have to make sure we keep the room at um, at a set temperature. Um, but from a commercial perspective, it's great because it ferments more quickly. So right, we did sell someone else's gin. He's not doing it anymore, but um, he um, we had to stop because the bottles were exploding. And also it was turning really alcoholic. I think the honey makes it turn alcoholic more easier. Well, that will happen with kombucha as well. But yes, it would happen faster with Jun just because it's a lot more active. So we have had a couple of bottles explode only at home that we, we forgot about in the back of a cupboard. But because Jun ferments more quickly, if you leave a bottle of our kombucha out the fridge and a bottle of Jun, they will both explode eventually. But the Jun will probably do it twice as quickly just yeah, a lot no, more I, I tested yours before <laughs> because we had this experience before I tested yours before we put it on the website 
and I kept it out of the fridge for a couple of weeks and it didn't explode. So we're all good. Yeah, a couple of weeks is fine. I usually tell customers <laughs> that you don't want to keep John out for longer than three to four weeks or probably both really, just to be safe. But there was a big scandal a few years ago now in America where a lot of kombucha brands were found to contain alcohol because they'd been fermenting on the shelf and they were all pulled from sale and, and a lot of manufacturers had to change the processes slightly more tolerant in the UK to levels of alcohol, but you still, you've got to keep them chilled. Anything that you're buying that is not chilled is is almost certainly pasteurized or it's had the, it's had the bacteria removed in another way. Yeah. Well, I could talk about kombucha all day actually, but we won't nerd out too much. Um, well, the other thing we make sure that we do, and we do with all our products because everything we have is packaged in glass, but particularly with the kombucha a lot of companies are now moving out of glass and into cans mm. and I think a lot of people probably don't realize right. that cans have a plastic liner so um you know so you what you have is a, is a highly acidic product because all fermented products are acidic all of our products are and you have it sitting in a plastic liner so from our perspective it's not really ideal we don't like to have food and plastic packaging as much as possible but even more so with a fermented product because it's acidic so yeah. everything we have our range is, is glass packaging yeah brilliant brilliant it's been really interesting to learn a bit more about all the care and the integrity you put into your products have you got anything exciting coming up that you want to tell us about we are working at the moment on a um on a cool kimchi so you know, we do get a lot of requests from customers. Can you make it with this? Can you make it without that? And as much as we'd love to, we're, you know, it's hard enough keeping up with the lines that we've got. Um, but one of the things we do get asked for quite a lot is 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 kimchi without the chili. Oh. So, you know, at the moment, we've got the two plain sauerkrauts and the ruby kraut. But then there's three kimchis that are all pretty spicy and right. a cortito. So we are just in the final stages of testing a kimchi without the chili. Um, which some might argue defeats the purpose of kimchi because it's always spicy. But, you know, why should people that cannot have, uh, cannot tolerate chili, whether it's uh, personal preference or uh, for health reasons, you know, why shouldn't they have kimchi? I so, think that is a traditional Korean thing. They call it white kimchi. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be launching that soon um, and possibly a couple of other flavors of kimchi. but. At the moment, I don't know what's sort sort of happened this year, but things have just gone slightly crazy. I, I think there's actually a combination. I think a couple of uh, competitors aren't selling the product anymore. Yeah. And I, I think as much as you know, we're we're constantly in the gut health space, so we we I think there's a tendency for us to think everyone kind of already knows about this stuff. I think there are a lot of people that are still discovering it, mm. and um, sales this year have been have been pretty high so we're, we're kind of working really hard just to keep up with the products that we do make never mind adding any more but once things settle down we we will uh we're always looking to to add to the range brilliant well that's really good to hear thank you so much for your time it's been really lovely to chat with you thank you it's been lovely to chat to you too thanks kate
for listening. You can check out the products we've been talking about by visiting Raw Living, rawliving.co.uk. And if you haven't got an account already, then do sign up. You get £5 off your first order. And also please do like, subscribe and share this podcast. It really does help.